0: Hello and welcome to the Provider Wellness Podcast. I'm Matthew Zinder, a certified registered nurse anesthetist. I'm an advanced practice nurse that specializes in the practice of anesthesia. The scope of this podcast will explore healthcare provider health and wellness from the broad to the specific. My aim is to educate while offering a unique perspective. Thank you for joining me today and let's get right to the show. Hey folks, I hope everyone is well. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Rodney Overstreet. Uh, He's an advanced practice nurse, uh, most specifically a nurse anesthetist like myself. Uh, I met him through a mutual acquaintance that basically described him to me as someone who is into that care for the caregiver stuff like you. So uh, after a phone call, uh, we were fast friends. Uh, So we have a lot in common. Uh, uh, I was really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, We kept in touch through his work as a CRNA, a hypnotherapist, and a group that he started called Heal Our Healers. So we'll get into all of that. Uh, We actually met face-to-face for the first time when he spoke at the Provider Wellness Symposium. Uh, His presentations were so well received, we asked him to return for this year's symposium. Uh, So we are looking forward to that. Uh, We discuss many topics in this episode, including the history of medicine, the current state of the profession, and of course, wellness for providers. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Uh, As always, please keep checking back for future episodes. I have many planned that will be covering many important topics in health and wellness. All previous episodes are available at the theproviderwellnesspodcast.com. And remember, this show is available on all podcast platforms, so please subscribe and share the episodes. If you wish to email me with any feedback or suggestions for future shows, please do so at providerwellnesspodcast at gmail.com. And finally, I'd like to mention, again, the national meeting that I'm involved with called the Provider Wellness Symposium. Please go to ProviderSymposium.com for more information about this important event where healthcare providers are enabled and empowered to engage in self-care. For those who take care of others, it is time to take care of yourselves. Again, go to ProviderSymposium.com for more information. So without further delay, here is my discussion with Rodney Overstreet. All right, Rodney, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, and as I do with uh, all of my previous guests, if you could just give a background on yourself uh, and then we can uh, get into a conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, thank you for having me. And it's so good to see you again and catch back up. Um, my name is Rodney Overstreet. I am a, um, a dad and my husband. I wear all these hats. I'm a certified registered nurse anesthetist. I grew up in uh, rural South Alabama in a very small community of about 18 or 20 people. Um, But I was blessed to have a mother who was a nurse and a grandmother who was a nurse. So I'm a third generation nurse. And um, my dad worked. uh, in building and construction and, um, paper mills. And he would come home dirty and, and stinking and have like pulled paper all over him and smell like sulfur. And he'd always say, get a job under the air conditioning. And my mom would come home and she would be uh, wearing her, you know, her long white, uh, nurse's outfit. And, uh, her books were fascinating. I go through her books when I was a kid and, and look at um, people with goiters and elephantiasis and all sorts of cool stuff. And I just fell in love with the, the idea of medicine and, and caregiving and, um, uh, Unfortunately, she passed when I was five in a car wreck. And then um, about 10 years later, my dad passed when I was when I was 15. Uh, He took his life and uh, came home from school and found that uh, very difficult time. But but then I went to live with my grandmother, who was my maternal grandmother, who was a nurse also. And uh, she was just in the process of retiring. Um, But even as a little kid, she would take us to the the doctor's call room when we were staying with her. and And she was on call. She was an OR nurse. And so I saw some kind of cool stuff and it was just always interesting and fascinating fascinating to me. So I graduated to Auburn um nursing in uh, 1997 went and did um open heart recovery uh straight out of school for about 2 years and um applied to UAB school of nurse anesthesia got in in 99 completed uh in 01 and I've been doing um, staff, uh, been a staff nurse anesthetist ever since in a few different hospitals, uh, specialized in uh, cardiovascular, vascular, uh, ortho, neuro, GYN. Now, I'm in a small outlying hospital in Birmingham, um, Bessemer, Alabama, which is about 250 beds. We have about 12 to 15 operating theaters, depending on who's there that day. And um, I, I love it. I love caring for those people. They're so grateful and thankful and gracious. Um, They're not the most um, motivated to take care of themselves, but that gives me a great opportunity to do lots of education, uh, lots of outreach, and um, I I feel like I'm making a difference, uh, so I really enjoy it. Um, You and I sort of uh, met through a friend, um, but uh, before that, we have a mutual friend because we both trained for hypnosis, so I, I was supposed to go back to Haiti and do a medical outreach in 2019. But there was too much civil unrest going on, and so um, there were burning tires in the streets, kidnapping um, uh, missionaries, and so we weren't able to go. And I was looking around for something to do, and I had heard Ron Eislinger speak in like 2004, I think, and he sort of changed the way I thought about consciousness and, and the way I thought about pain, the way I thought dealt with my patients. And I was like, well, I wonder if he's teaching that week. And lo and behold, he was. So I went up to Tennessee and and got trained to do that. And I've also been doing uh, hypnosis on the side since then. And so being a caregiver um, and being a hypnotist and just being incredibly interested in um, trauma because of my own previous traumas in life is sort of what culminated in uh, me being in the space that we're in right now.
0: Well, I, I can tell you that, uh, yeah, we definitely have a lot of uh, uh, parallels, uh, including the, you know, these interests, the interests that we have outside of the operating room, which uh, has actually kind of taken over my life uh, to the point where I want to spend more time doing these other things than being in the OR, which, uh, which I can't afford at this point, but (laughs) I'm working on that. But um, I mean, first of all, I, you know, we just recently met, you know, over online and phone calls and Zooms and things like that. And then met Face to face for the first time at the provider wellness symposium, where you were a huge hit. Uh, and uh, that's that's the one of the reasons why we definitely are happy to have you back for uh this coming year. Uh, but also we're still kind of getting to know each other, which I really appreciate. So, first of all, I'm terribly sorry to hear about the trauma in your young years. You. Uh, and that's really, I mean, that's something that a person can either go in one direction or another. And it sounds like you have. You have taken the steps to to heal in certain ways and, and make it um, something that uh, that you can that you can use to to help others. I think, you know, because you have a yeah. greater understanding of of trauma. Uh, yeah, I've some, done lots you know. of
1: work and I've utilized most of the modalities that I advocate and teach.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm being presumptuous there again, because we're getting to know each other as we speak, but, um, but knowing what I know of you and what you work on and all the things that you teach, uh, that was, uh, hopefully a a proper assumption, but, um, but then we kind of have a parallel in that I'm, I'm actually second generation nursing myself, my father, but it was my father who actually was the nurse. Um, we are actually the first father, son graduates in the history of Hopkins.
1: Oh wow, that's cool! Uh,
0: yeah, he was the first male to graduate Hopkins, uh, ever. So he, we have this uh, this funny really cool. history. <laughs> yeah, we have this funny yeah. history with Hopkins. But, but my grandmother that, actually
1: dripped ether too. So my grandmother ah. was a, an anesthetist part time at her small hospital, her one OR hospital in South Alabama.
0: That's super cool. And see, that's where I I absolutely love the history of medicine because yeah. not that long ago it was completely medieval, and yeah. that's why it's just so fascinating to me uh, because my father also, he dropped ether, Like he, he, um, he still says, give me a can of ether and an emesis basin and I can do any case. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Because my grandmother never,
1: never went to school. She just trained under a physician and, uh, took her, um, licensure. It took a couple of times to pass, but she was an an LPN. And then later on, about 20 years later, she did go to school to uh, learn uh, surgical technology. So she was at the head of the, um, uh, the sterile, uh, sterilization of the OR and she was the head of the ER and she was the head OR nurse.
0: <laughs> wow. Wow. And it's so interesting how, how different, uh, things were back then, where it was yeah. kind of like, if you get trained by someone, you know, like a physician on how to do something, licensure meant nothing. It was just like, yeah. you get, get the job done. And those people did yeah. a great job, you know, yeah. for the most part. So yeah. very, very fascinating to me. Um, but then, so, and then of course, yeah. So your experience with, uh, with Ron Esslinger and, uh, training with, um, with him, uh, to be certified, uh, hypnotist or hypnotherapist. When did you do that? Uh,
1: 2019, uh, okay. may I believe.
0: <clears throat> okay. All right. And you do you actually have kind of a hypnosis practice?
1: I do. I named my, um, uh, it's, it's, my wife's a writer and so I use her writing studio and uh, if I named it Better and Better Hypnosis. Uh, okay. And, and I'm busy. You know, I've got four kids. I'm running a nonprofit. I'm a full-time call-taking a nurse anesthetist. And I also like to have fun and do my own hobbies and, hobbies <laughs> and stuff. Right. Uh, but I do take patients. I most recently saw a uh, young lady who's a social worker who was having trouble with anxiety. And she could help others implement tools that she taught, but she wasn't able to, t- to help heal herself. And um modulate her own inner landscape. And so I I'm working with her.
0: Oh, fantastic. I, I had a I had a pretty active practice when I first finished with Ron and mine, geez, I think I did uh training with him back in 2010. Awesome. So um, but it it has since honestly fizzled out yeah. intentionally because of all the other things that I'm involved in. But sure. but of course, as you know, all that training can be applied to working with patients in the operating room.
1: Everything, man, every aspect of our lives can be um, finessed with hypnosis. <laughs> right.
0: And then, I mean, I do a whole talk about um, communication and how to create outcomes just by how you communicate with your patients and how we inadvertently create negative outcomes by warning patients of impending doom, you know, before, you know, this is going to hurt or, you know, whatever. So, sure. I, you know, that's really what yeah, expe- creating expectations and, yeah. you know, the effect of expectations on pain pathways, all of that yeah. stuff. Uh, it's, one of my, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite talks to give. Um, Wonderful.
1: I, I I could talk about it all day long.
0: Yeah, just absolutely. It. It,
1: it's profoundly changed my life. And whenever we were training, uh, he utilized me as one of his training um, examples. And actually, under hypnosis, I engaged with a trauma from my past that I had had back pain for. 30 years, longer than that. And my back pain is 99% resolved because I disassociated the trauma loop that had created a need to be loved with my injury. And so anytime that I felt like I was not being loved properly or loved enough or needed love, then my pain would flare up. And I just never knew it was there until under hypnosis, uh, he he helped me see it. He helped me see it inside myself.
0: Wow. That's amazing. That's
1: actually on YouTube. You can watch that on YouTube. It's pretty cool.
0: Oh yeah. I'll look that up. That's great. I mean, cause that, I mean, that's the thing. It's like whenever you see recovery or change for the positive, you know, with what you're working, you know, where you're working with a client, it's still magic to me. It's still, oh, amazing, totally. you know, completely amazing. But uh, now I know that, you know, outside of your work with the operating room uh, or in the operating room, you have a lot of other interests in the area of wellness and well-being for providers. In fact, one of the things that struck uh, um, my well, I mean, for those who have not heard previous episodes, uh, my uh, co-founder of the Provider Wellness Symposium, uh, Rodrigo Garcia, when we were looking through topics on uh, you know what topics to put on the schedule, yours had some of the most amazing. Just titles, uh, much less the descriptions and what you ended up doing. And, you know, so where where did all that training come from or or research or all that? Because, I mean, the, the talks were amazing. You know, after, after the fact, we can say that your talks were amazing. Your feedback was <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, the experientials that you did were fantastic. So where where did all that come from? Because you didn't learn that in the hypnosis course. <laughs> no, yeah. right. So
1: like I said, I'll, most of these modalities that I advocate, um, I practice and 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 I um, I would use them on myself. And so I gave a, a lecture on grief, and that lecture was just from the school of hard knocks, just have, having so many um, intimate uh, encounters with grief growing up, and. and Um, I'm a huge student of philosophy, and I found that um, there are certain philosophical frameworks that have helped me successfully navigate uh, the guilt, survivor's guilt, uh, because I was also in a car wreck when I was 16, and um, that was the year after my dad passed, and uh, we were a whole family. We hit a whole family, me and my best friend, and my best friend passed, and the whole Hmm. family passed, and so it was a man, a woman, a three-year-old, and she was pregnant with twins. Wow. And so I had to deal with a whole lot of stuff at a young age. And so the um, the guilt lecture, uh, excuse me, the um, the, um, uh, the lecture about losing people and grieving people was just firsthand experience. And and the philosophy techniques, Buddhism, Stoicism, Taoism, uh, Christianity, different constructs. So that's that came out of that. Uh, then there was the um, imagination and play uh, to increase. You know, happiness and productivity in the workplace, and um, I had just been utilizing a lot of a lot of different techniques in our hospital to increase the um, the the work satisfaction of my colleagues. I, I could go into an OR and feel when the OR was was heavy or um, filled with anxiety, and so I started trying to figure out ways that I could affect that um, that environment to make it a little more relaxed, a little more peaceful, to help the workflow a little easier. Um, I started taking a Bose uh, system into the operating room and playing music for the patients as they get ready to go to sleep, playing it for the surgeons, whatever they want to hear. Even if it's Christmas music in July, I don't care. (laughs) And uh, so I had given that uh, lecture to the um, Ascension Healthcare uh, Systems and kind of tweaked it and got that better. And then the Qigong, I've always been interested in, um, in energy and flow and these uh, mystical concepts of um, pranayama, or um, or um, the Holy Spirit moving through. I, I grew up in an evangelical church, and you can just see when that happens. Or if you're in at a, at a musical fest, music fest, and when that bass starts stump thumping, and people start moving together, there's something that happens uh, that's moving amongst the people. And so that's what got me interested in qigong. And then I started practicing qigong, and I started feeling. And qigong is just energy manipulation. Uh, qi qi uh, is the vital force that flows throughout the universe. And uh, tai chi is a martial art that grew out of qigong. But qigong is just energy manipulation. And so I started doing that after I had gotten into yoga. And then I, then I learned there was crossover. Like if you drew a Venn diagram of yoga and, and qigong. There's a lot of crossover there. And then there's a lot of crossover also with um, Hypnosis, because certain aspects of Qigong are very closely related to self-hypnosis in the way that you're manipulating energy inside your body, whether that be to address um, pain or a suffering or um, limiting thoughts uh, so um, I just began researching that, and then the last one was laughter yoga. And laughter yoga had come across when I was studying yoga. My wife's a yoga teacher. And so we had done uh, a very intense uh, year-long um, bout of yoga in 2019 also. And then I started studying all the different branches of yoga, tantric yoga, um, all sorts of stuff. And, and laughter yoga came up. And I thought, how preposterous is this? Like, this, is, mm-hmm. this makes no sense. I started watching videos, listening to TED Talks. And then uh, I'm also a student of neuroscience. I love uh, neurochemistry. Uh, When we are in anesthesia school, um, the neurological system was probably my favorite. Like I would dig deeply into receptors, receptor physiology, neurotransmitters. I still lecture on that today at at the anesthesia uh, school in our town, UAB. Um, And so what occurred to me with laughter yoga was is that um, you're actually just putting traffic through Neural circuits that may have atrophied that we haven't used in a long time. And just by doing that in in a real intentional fake way, uh, you're creating a more robust network. You're causing neurotransmitters to to pop off and release that haven't been emptied uh, out of those um, in those synaptic clefts for a while. So you're facilitating the release of those. And, and you're just it's like riding a bike or anything else. You're just helping yourself learn how to do those things. So that when somebody does tell a funny joke and you're not in a horrible, pissy mood, maybe you can giggle a little bit. And that giggle reminds you of your practice and then it'll open you up a little bit more. So uh, that's kind of how those four topics evolved. But uh, all that being said, I'm not formally trained in any of these topics, uh, but I'm kind of subversive. I, I don't like ivory towers. I don't like gatekeepers. You and I have talked about this. Um, you know, I. I um, am not a foot therapist, but I teach people about barefoot running and re- rehabbing their feet. Um, I'm not a mountain bike specialist, but I have a group of mountain bikers that I take out and introduce them to mountain biking. I just went this morning 12 miles. That's where I was whenever I told you I was coming home. I um, you know, I'm a dad and I'm, I'm not a parenting specialist. I've never gone to parenting classes, but I have <laughs> right. kids. And so I don't think that you necessarily always have to go to a... Um, four-year, you know, system and have a piece of paper to be uh, an expert.
0: You know, I I am right there with you. I I don't know if you heard the previous episode. um, I had a uh, a meditation teacher, Ted Meissner, on. Fantastic guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. uh, Great conversation. He's actually going to be also at the next Provider Wellness Symposium. Looking forward to that. Um, See him in action. But he is, he's been down that road of legit certification, multiple year training, MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction, meditation. He's a senior meditation teacher, all certifications. So I, I think, uh, I think he may have taken an issue when I said, I'm not a meditation teacher, but I teach people how to meditate. Yeah, and, he, and then he went down this road of, well, you got to, you know, so, and I get that because he's been yeah. formally trained. But yeah, I, I'm I, thankful for those systems
1: too that teach yeah. people.
0: Um, right. But I just don't
1: think it's always necessary.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that if if we're aware of our, first of all, aware of our limitations. In other words, that's what I say. Yeah. I teach people how to meditate, meaning I talk about technique and I recommend it and I give resources like different apps and and literature and things yes. like that to read about it. I would never say, actually, I, I, I technically could say. I am a meditation teacher because I have taken training and yeah. finished and finished training, but yeah. I don't really feel like it's as it was and as intense of a training program as MBSR. So I generally don't tell people that even though I yeah. could technically say it. Um, but at the same time, I think it's valid to talk about subjects, make recommendations and go down that road as long as one says, well, this is where you need to go next because I'm not that person like and this is my personal opinion but yeah um but but that's what i do like i talk about i'm not a i'm not a uh um a hypnosis trainer i have not been through train the trainer with uh, nice. ngh or or the um i can't remember what the other organization is but i teach people about hypnosis all the time yeah. and you know yeah. so things like that um i, so I totally agree
1: as a mentor I, you know yeah. i'm a mentor. I help people. Uh, I connect people to other people. Um, I introduce people to concepts, and if they're interested in those concepts, then I encourage them to you know to go and do to dig deeper. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, the interesting thing about helping people heal themselves, because we can't heal anyone. The only person that can heal someone is themselves, is that you have to use the proper language that they're speaking, and you have to use techniques that resonate with the individual. And because there's so much inter-individual variability, to be an effective healer for a wide swath of individuals, you have to come to the table with a skill set that is very broad. Yes. And if I tried to become an expert and teacher in each one of those, I would have to live 10 lifetimes. Right. <laughs> <That's> but a- <laughs> I can collect these tools in my toolbox on this kind of a surface level and introduce those to each individual. And then I can look at that individual and see if, are they a kinesthetic uh, communicator? Are they a visual communicator? Are they an auditory communicator? So that way I'm using the proper language and semantics so they can hear what I'm saying. And then I um, sort of a la carte this charcuterie board of different Mm -hmm. techniques that will allow you to possibly begin to heal. And then you get to rummage around and kind of pick out what works for you and try a lot of different things.
0: Right, exactly. And that's where I am. I mean, I certainly could go back and, and get these certifications and these go through these internships and, and everything like that. But again, just like you say, you it's the timing. It's, uh, you know, it, it's okay to read a book and, and do these types of things. I think we're just doing it verbally with people who are interested in hearing about it and, and don't, pre, you know, and haven't previously learned anything. Uh, yeah. So give the basics, get people started with things and then give the resources. That's kind of how I do it. Um sure. Because I think you're kind of working on the same thing I am, which is working on this culture of, of poor self-care and the health provider population. Um, so a couple questions there. First of all, I do want to talk about, well, we'll go right to that. Tell me about Heal Our Healers.
1: Oh, thank you so much for asking, man. So Heal Our Healers is, um, we just got our 501c3 nonprofit tax exempt status. So now we're an official recognized uh, nonprofit. Nice. I'm so grateful and thankful for that. But Our uh, Healer Healers is a support group for clinicians and first responders. It's a safe place for people to come and debrief whenever they've had a critical incident that they need to talk about. It's a... Uh, it's a resource center so that we can um, show people the toolbox and help um, them see different modalities that can possibly lead them to um, healing and recovery and and restoration of their spirit and soul when it's been degraded. But it grew out of, um, I had three close friends, like really close friends who went to rehab. And I just realized that, there's something terribly wrong here, and I had one mentor and really close friend who <clears throat> went home and um, connected herself to propofol and uh, took her life with propofol. Hmm.
0: And
1: I think it was, um, in, I think it was intentional. Uh, so I think she took her life. And so I just, this was 2019, I guess, whenever all this was kind of coming to a head. And I realized there was this massive problem, like the alarm bells were ringing, the klaxons were going off in my brain, like, you know, why is this happening? Um, I heard you and Rigo talk about people falling in the river, and you just get tired of fishing people out of the river. And I didn't want to fish people out of the river anymore. Uh, one of these individuals, I tried to and I tried to help him before he actually um, things went really south but he still had to go south. Like he still had to reach his, his lowest point. And so I decided I was going to start a Facebook group uh, because COVID broke out and the world fell apart. And my colleagues who were already under a lot of stress and overworked with um, too many high acuity patients were suddenly drowning quite literally in uh, in vicarious trauma because they were having to do such horrible things and see so many people pass away in the beginning. And so I started Taylor Healers September the 25th, 2020 uh, on Facebook as a Facebook group. I did a lot of research about, you know, what I was going to do and how I was going to construct it. I sat in on a bunch of AA meetings to understand what uh, a community looks like, a support group looks like, what low impact debriefing looks like. And um, luckily, I had a few good friends who were in recovery because it had fallen, you know, off the wagon. And so I could go to them. One of the uh, one of my friends who uh, had to go through recovery uh, is still a good friend, and he's healthy and doing fantastic. And he is the co-owner of the CrossFit gym that my wife and I work out at. And I, I said coincidentally that um, high intensity interval training and, and working out is also one of the tools in the toolbox because it helps us metabolize um, the catecholamines. It allows us to deplete our sympathetic nervous system and it helps us to kind of reset our parasympathetic nervous system once we're, we're done with, with the um, exercise. And I know that you like the book, um, why don't zebras uh, get ulcers stress ulcers, right? And it's the same thing for us. You know, when you've had a rough day, when you've had a, a tough day, when you've had a um, a big argument with a colleague or your wife or whatever, if you can go outside and you can really sweat and get your heart rate up and um, get your body to sort of suffer a little bit, then it does something. It, it transforms that angst, that anxiety, that stress that was inside of you. And it helps you come back to a lower baseline. It just helps to relax your body, relax your central nervous system. It, it uh, ablates the arousal that's been occurring in you all day. And so um, that's another one of the techniques that that we utilize in our toolbox.
0: So with the the actual format uh, of the groups that you have with Healer Healers, is it kind of like a, a an organized and and scheduled time when people get together or is it kind of like posts? How does, how's the format or how does it work up?
1: Yeah, there's been a tremendous amount of learning with this. So when I first started it, after I had done my research in AA, after I talked to my my friends and colleagues, uh, after I'd read a bunch of books, uh, I would do Zoom meetings like you and I are doing right now. And um, I would only have like two or three or four, sometimes six or eight people show up and we would open up the space. We would talk a little bit. I would usually give a five or 10 minute mini lecture about some aspect of healing or trauma work. And then I would open the floor for people who wanted to talk or debrief. And I think there was utility in that because I think it definitely resonated with some people uh, while COVID was, was really, really hot. But after a period of time, I realized that that wasn't the proper way to do it because trauma... And trauma work is intensely private. Um, People, number one, don't know that they have trauma and they have issues that need to be dealt with. And number two, they're ashamed that they have these problems because they were taught at some point that um, we have to be strong, stiff upper lip, that whole sort of thing. If you admit that you're having trouble, if you admit you're having a hard day, then there could be... Uh, repercussions from your employer, from your colleagues, Uh, they may start to question your mental health and your mental fitness. And so I had to rethink how I was doing things. And I had been doing some live meditation um, classes, just sitting meditation classes on Facebook Live. And I decided that I was going to go all Facebook Live for a while, just see how things go, and I had much better responses from people. I had much better um, engagement, much better viewership. Still, people weren't coming to the table and talking about their issues uh, in the public domain of the Our Hiller Hillers Facebook group. But I've almost got two thousand members now. Oh wow! From from physicians all the way down to nurses, aides, and transporters. I've got pharmacists, physical therapists, um, uh, firefighters, EMT paramedics, um, dietary people, some clergy. I gave a a talk to the uh, Mississippi, Louisiana palliative care professionals. And so I was able to connect with some uh, nurses and, um, and mental health people and clergy there. So we've grown a really diverse group of people now. And we're starting to get some people who are courageous enough to speak out. And um, I've always been of the mind of, you know, I'll go first. I'll go first. That's my leadership style, is, you know, whether it's jumping off a, a, a wall, rock wall into the lake or whether it's talking about my trauma. I'll go first. And so I'm utilizing that strategy And I think it's empowering a good amount of people. And I'm even starting to see some members of our community rise up and be interested in taking these concepts and these ideas into their own institutions. And ultimately, that is my goal. Now, phase one was to create the space. Phase two was to become a nonprofit, 501c3, and to collect enough members to make a real impact And phase three, I'm beginning this year, and that is to actually create a certification to become a recognized expert or recognized resource person so that you can be a Medicare professional, META, something that's meta, is self-referential, healing our healers. And also, META is loving kindness meditation. I'm sure you've engaged in that. Yeah. And what we're doing is loving kindness. We're loving ourselves and we're loving our colleagues and teaching them how to love themselves and heal themselves. And so I'm going I'm in the process of creating that um, now. And that's that's phase three this year.
0: Wow. So when it comes to the certification what would that entail like what what is your plan for that because that's that's very interesting because uh there's a lot to that i've been down that road myself and it is it is it is a lot um and i've seen other people going down that road as well like in fact there's there's these two guys that i know also through ron who was coming up or who were trying to come up with um certified uh, crnh certified registered nurse hypnotist Oh, cool. And it's an uphill battle. Like that yeah. one is a, that one's interesting. Um, and yeah. So what, what kind of steps are you taking? What's, what would it involve? What kind of things would you go over, you know, or, or expect people to understand or know?
1: Yeah. Again, you know, this is all uh, I'm learning as I go. Um, and I'm also being a hypocrite because I just talked about, uh, you know, every hours <laughs> and, and Uh, But that's the my point is to make it extremely accessible, extremely affordable and um, and not too labor intensive. So I don't want to utilize a formal education system like an associates or anything like that. Ultimately, um, perhaps that it will be a a branch of nursing or something like that. 10 or 15, 20 years down the road. I mean, I, I think that would be. Fantastic that it would be just a lovely way to live your life to be uh, a nurse for the nurses and doctors and, right. and other people in, in the in the world. But at first it's I've got to bootstrap it. Um, I think that uh, I actually wrote a um, a blog post about this and I'll give you the link. it's on my um, blog and so you can post that in the show notes mm-hmm. about how, what it looks like and feels like. But if you're a healthcare professional, uh, a nurse or a physician, uh, or pharmacist, or PT, um, then you've already got a lot of the background that you need to be a Medicare professional. Um, and if, because you're already talking to patients, you're already counseling patients, there's a lot of education that is involved with being one of these healthcare professionals. But you're going to need some other tools too. Uh, so there'll be some required reading, um, like Bessel van uh The Body Keeps the Score like um, Gabor Mate in the Realm of Hungry Ghost uh, about addiction, um, guilt, anxiety, and shame, uh, understanding negative legacy emotions about uh, bragging And so there'll be books that you need to read and show some uh, competency on that. And then I think that uh, there needs to be a, a life coaching component of it because what you're doing is life coaching and mentoring and you're helping create structure in somebody's life when they might not have structure. There's going to be need to need some education about uh, who to refer this individual to, because sometimes you're going to have individuals that don't need refer referral to anyone, but sometimes you're going to need to uh, refer individuals to um, more therapeutic counseling. So you're going to be, uh, you're going to need to be a liaison to Counselors, psychiatrists, um, substance use disorders um, like um, Rigo's. uh, What's the name of the uh, the Rigo's uh, Uh,
0: Parkdale Center
1: Parkdale? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you're going to need to have a relationship with some of these places, too, that you can uh, send people to as for resources. Yeah. And also some cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, some emotional freedom techniques, EFT stuff, um, some hypnosis ideas and and. I mean, all these things come into play and in, in learning if somebody is a, uh, a, a kinesthetic person or a visual person, you know, knowing how to speak their language.
0: Well, sign me up. So let me know when that's available and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll be your first customer.
1: Okay, um, <laughs> I, I'm actually looking at this uh, Academy of modern applied psychology. Uh, it was, I found it on Udemy. It's Kane Ramsey. And, mm-hmm. um, and I took several of his courses and they were just phenomenal. Yeah. And they were super affordable and they teach you so many skills that are important. I mean, I've utilized so many of the skills. And so I'm going to approach them about putting a, a package together uh, that a person could just purchase and utilize that package. And a, another one of my goals this year is to actually get certified in uh, compassion fatigue um, through the green cross, which is another, um that is the group that coined the term compassion fatigue. And so uh once I dig into that, then maybe you know add that on to it also so that um whenever you're using these words that you really understand in depth uh the full um spectrum of what uh, compassion fatigue looks like, what does burnout look like? What is PTSD? And how can you tell somebody has PTSD versus just vicarious trauma? Right. And so yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean that that sounds great. I mean it's it's certainly needed to have something that formal available for those interested in helping to mentor people. That's for sure cuz I yeah. think now, you know, for those of us who are are doing it or trying to do it uh, or are interested in it, we're kind of looking to all these different sources to assist us to, you know, try to assist people um, or help us help others or however you want to put it. But to have it all in one place and have that goal or that that pinpoint uh, um, goal of all right, this is the purpose of all this information, all in one place sounds very appealing. Uh, yeah, you know, because- I think
1: the economics makes sense too. Um, just to, to on ramp one nurse, uh, the numbers are like forty to eighty thousand yeah. dollars. So if you can, if you can decrease the attrition in your institution um, by one nurse a year. You're saving that institution, you know, fifty dollars to $80,000. And so yeah. let's say that you are a um, bedside nurse, but you get this certification and you want to start a um, program in your hospital where you measure burnout, compassion fatigue, and you want to do workshops once a quarter on one of your days. So one of your 12-hour shifts is just dedicated uh, to, you know, running two or three workshops that day. Uh, it more than pays for itself or you know if you get the certification and they pay you another two or three or five dollars an hour for being this this contact person in your hospital um then it pays for itself very easily you save one physician that's probably you know a quarter million dollars
0: oh yeah most definitely and that's how you that's how you get through to the c-suite I mean right. I've had I've mentioned this in previous episodes I've had two, uh, meetings or interviews or whatever you want to call them, two meetings with two C-suite individuals in two very large medical uh, uh, organizations talking about the concept of chief wellness officer. Both of them, as if they had planned it ahead of time, said the exact same thing to me, and that was, yeah. "I understand the need. There's no budget, yeah. so you have to talk numbers to them because that's yeah. real. That's their language, and yeah. and that goes all the way down to a unit manager. You know, I mean, because again, we're dealing with a culture." where we are taught and expected to only take care of others and not ourselves. I've said that over and over again ad nauseum on this on this podcast and in, in my lectures and, and otherwise. Um, so that's not a, a surprise to hear me say that, but I believe that that is one of the serious problems we are having that is going to lead to the next public health crisis, which is the health of healthcare providers. So it has to be addressed some way. Right now, the organizations are throwing money at the problem because- What's happened is this has created the worst provider shortage in history, at least as far as my history is concerned, which yeah. if, you, if you extend that to my father, it's a 40 or 50 year history of, of healthcare. care. Um, and that obviously is not sustainable. So that's why these types of interventions are necessary to turn healthcare around, around or, or it's all going to come crumbling down. Um, yeah,
1: I think accountability, too, if we can get like Jayco or other licensure organizations to begin to measure this and measure burnout, measure attrition, measure compassion fatigue, measure the uh, rates of suicide and um, substance use disorder in the institutions, then you actually have a. Uh, a, a a stick, you know, carrots and sticks are what drives behavior. And uh, the carrot is, you know, keeping those people. The stick is holding them accountable for what happens in their institutions. And so, I think it's going to take a, a two pronged approach.
0: You know, I've talked about this uh, often as well, where I believe that we're looking at if if it's if the institution and if we as providers uh, and uh, as far as our population is concerned are motivated. To make a change and improve, it's a I you know, I believe there's a short-term, midterm, and long term solution to this. The short term is we take matters into our own hands and we practice good, healthy behaviors because we tend to not do that. Uh midterm is changing curriculum and making it part of curriculum to teach self-care and self-care first before we care for others. Make it that high of a priority, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Yeah. And third or long-term solution is, and this is a lesson from aviation, you mandate good health as a condition for licensure. You are not a pilot unless you are in good health, period, end of story. You don't like it, go do something else with your life. Now, that's a real tough one, and I know that's a tough one.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you remember, you and I chatted about this one time, but I take Mm -hmm. issue with that because by trying to get people to engage in this work for the last two and a half years and seeing what a private um, shame-inducing, fear-inducing situation it is, I find that you're not going to get authentic engagement and healing if you try to mandate these people. Because one of the things that happens whenever you try to push people who are uh, tra- who are traumatized, is they lay the lash out mm-hmm. or they withdraw, um, which is a totally normal thing, right? Because you have these yep. raw wounds and you're trying to put your hands in the wound, right? And even somebody who loves you and cares about you, who you've got a, a tremendously strong therapeutic rapport with, they still do that. So can you imagine an institution uh, trying to, to, to make you heal and get better?
0: Uh, I just don't think it would work. It wouldn't (laughs) for the simple, (laughs) but think about, but think about this though. It's not going to work now. Yeah. So I think, I think you're thinking from the short term. In other words, you can't take a mandate to this struggling population now, impossible. You want to create the greatest mass exodus in the history of a profession. (laughs) There is no way you could do that. But my feeling is Start the healing process through changing or working on the culture because the culture right now, I believe is the problem. You're only supposed to take care of others and not yourself starts with that. You know, changing a culture is changing a the very, conversation. Yeah. yeah, it's a very, and that's
1: what you do. And that's what I'm doing. That's what we doing. Yeah.
0: But yeah. the long-term solution, like in other words, absolutely cannot do a mandate in this struggling population. 100%. What we need to do is help, uh, you know, and change the culture and help them heal to the point yeah. to where now we can start to say, maybe we should change this to think prevention and not treatment, which is Western medicine, right? We don't think about prevention, yeah. we think about treatment. And I'm talking yeah. way down the road because again, in and and I've looked at the history of of the medical uh when it comes to aviation, it was in the I mean, off the top of my head, if I'm remembering correctly, it was like in the 20s or 30s when they were starting to look at regulation and trying to make aviation safer. It was, you have to be healthy. Why? Because human life is at stake. Well, what else? What other profession is human life at stake? So I'm not saying you can't be a licensed physician if you smoke, you know, or if you're, you know hundred pounds overweight or whatever, you can't be a physician. But what I'm saying is we could learn a lot of things from the safest profession or the safest industry in history. There's yeah. a reason that's the safest history. There's the reason that is it is the safest in history is because they have these mandates. Yeah. I mean, there's, I a, you. you know,
1: I hear you. I feel you. My brother's a pilot. Like I get it. I love the analogy of the uh, pilot's checklist whenever I go in the operating room in the morning. I'm huge yeah. into doing machine checks and thorough checks. And I, and I teach that to my students. Um, but there's something that's different about what we do than, than that experience. And a, a good um, metaphor or, or, or analogy is um, when the, the uh, pilot landed on the, the Hudson River. Mm-hmm. And I heard somebody talking about this the other day. Can you imagine if they took him after he had landed? And they took him back, dried him off, put him mm-hmm. in a new pair of uh, clothes, and said, "All oh, your next flight leaves in ten or fifteen minutes."
0: I say that. I say that during my PTSD talk, I say they that took, exact thing.
1: Exa- maybe I
0: got it from you. So I mean, that's
1: kind of okay. you know we we have to we have to move on in ten or fifteen minutes because somebody's waiting on the room. So we even if, after we've had that horrible thing happen, that thirty-five-year-old lady, uh, mother of three, who uh, passed away because she had a you know catastrophic PTE and there was nothing we could do about it in the OR. Um, we've got, you know, following that, we've got, you know, carotid that we've got to do, you know, on a 58-year-old or whatever. And so you have to perform again right away.
0: And I have so, a problem with that though. There's no space. <laughs> I, I, <laughs>
1: there's no- I have a I have a problem with that.
0: I mean, I, I think heard, that's yeah. a problem.
1: Yeah. But but you know, we're so short. Um, I yeah. can't call in sick. Because right. if I call in sick, then they can't run an operating room. So then uh, the patient has to um, suffer and the nurses and physicians have to suffer uh, because we're at this this locked place. So I think that, um, like you said, we've got to move slowly. We have to normalize uh, vulnerability. We have to create some safe places in the hospital, some yoga rooms, meditation rooms. Call it a cry room where you just go and you just tell what happened. And it's okay to cry in there. Like you can go in the cry room and you just bawl your eyes out because that's another modality. That's another tool in the toolbox is like screen therapy or whatever you want to call it, where you just vomit out this rage, this um, injustice that just occurred to you and the family and And, uh, you know, we have so many insults that that occur to us, and we just have to keep marching along. And um, ultimately, what that teaches us to do is compartmentalize it, stuff it down, push it down, and then this... um burden, this trauma burden on your soul and spirit at some point becomes too much to handle and you just go home and you you drink it away or you gamble it away or you drive too fast on your motorcycle on the way home or you uh, get a girlfriend on the side or you,
0: um, you know, put a, a gun to your temple. Right. And that's why I personally believe. And again, don't get me wrong. None of what I'm talking about is a short term solution. Yeah. It's none of it because we are in the 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 greatest healthcare provider shortage in history as far as i know as far as what yeah. i'm experiencing myself and what i'm observing so to say go get your next patient is very common but i i think that if you're dealing with any case i mean obviously that case was waiting for me to be finished with my previous one so i could go get my next case i'm sorry you don't have to go get your next case that moment these yeah. people have to be you know if you've been through a, a a traumatic experience nothing unless it's an absolute emergency and that patient is coding or whatever unless it's a true emergency i personally believe no you do not have to go get your next case because you now are not the same provider you're just yeah. so so you could look at it in terms of are we sending a competent provider in that moment not not generally but in that moment yeah. is that a competent provider going into that or is, yeah, that's the first, second, third victim thing.
1: I think know? this conversation started uh, a couple of years ago when they put in the rules that um, interns couldn't, you know, work more than t- thirty six hours or had to sleep like yeah. some forty eight hours. So I think slowly we're starting to acknowledge that doctors and nurses, EMTs, firemen, policemen were, are human beings, right? And I think that we're starting to see uh, because of all of the inadvertent or intentional police violence that's occurred that some of these people are terribly traumatized and they're not handling situations well because they've got this buildup trauma or they've got these biases that are forming inside your brain and that's one of the things with compassion fatigue compassion fatigue you know ultimately we become non-caring robot like we depersonalize we derealize because they're just there's just coping mechanisms because you can't the human animal can't keep walking into the jungle and um, stay neurologically healthy and intact because there's just too much danger there. And there's too much um, that's already occurred, too many memories for them to, to engage with because of uh, all the PTSD tri- triggers from all the critical incidents that have occurred over their lifetime. Right. And so we've got to normalize on a day to day or a weekly basis of ways to um, to de-traumatize ourselves to masticate, metabolize the trauma that's occurred and to get our central nervous system reset. And so that ultimately is what Healer Healers is about right now. It's about refilling your cup. It's about getting sunshine. It's about sleep. I know you're huge on sleep. I'm huge on sleep. I think that, you know, that's, that's, there's, it's mandatory. That's non-negotiable. You got to get six to six to eight hours of sleep every night if you want to feel better. Um, Hydration. So, yeah, I mean, right now where I am in in this um, outreach and the support group, it's just about telling people that um, it's okay to not be okay. Don't be afraid to tell your stories. If you've got some dark things going on, you can't keep running from those. You've got to run to the dark places. And whenever you open up a dark place inside of you, Two things are going to happen. Either there's a smoldering ember there, and when you open up that dark place, it's going to catch fire, and it's going to be ugly. But it needs to burn itself up because that's the only way you can get past it. Or if there's a bunch of like moldy fungus in there, and you throw open the doors, and the sunlight pours in, the sunlight's like an antiseptic, right? And it allows oxygen in ultraviolet light, and it can, can k- help kill that stuff, right? Make that stuff go away. Those are the metaphors that I like to use when I'm talking to people, whether I'm doing hypnosis or just talking to a friend. But um, you can't keep things behind closed doors. You cannot keep pushing things down. You've got to run to those monsters, and you've got to embrace them. You've got to love them. You've got to give yourself a lot of grace and compassion. And uh, so that's that's sort of where we are.
0: So when you're doing the groups, uh... Uh, um with the evolution of this organization, I mean congratulations on having so many uh members I mean I think that that that's telling right there of how important uh what your work is um when you're doing these groups well first of all so now that it 's kind of evolved with that many members, how many people are usually in the groups
1: so now um i don 't do rooms anymore i don 't invite people in because you know like I said, there was not the engagement that I wanted uh so i'm just doing um like sitting meditation i'm doing laughter yoga um so that, and i cash it on on the facebook sites so people can watch it as much as they want they can go uh-huh. back and watch the old ones um, I, I do plan on doing some in, in more engagements as time goes on um but i haven't decided if i want to roll that out inside of facebook because facebook's actually working really hard to make their groups better and more robust i think they see the utility of it i think that there are really people inside of Facebook that want to make the world a better place and not just monetize everything. Um, And so I haven't decided if I want to go back to Zoom or I want to keep using the Facebook tools, but I'll probably use the Facebook tools because there were some people who were confused by Zoom. It was hard to get them on board, you know, microphone issues, that sort of stuff. And so if they're in Facebook, I'll I'll probably just keep them in Facebook and and run stuff in classes there.
0: So as far as like the support, Aspect of it. Is it kind of like now postings and things like that or.
1: Yeah. So I'm beginning to normalize and I'm beginning to educate people about low impact debriefing. And I'm starting to get some nurses, some CNAs, um, no MDs of CRNAs yet that uh, post about difficult situations that occurred to them that day. And then I will intentionally step back into the background and kind of let the community Um, support that person and offer advice, um, love, compassion. And um, I think that's making a difference. So I think that my dream about uh, allowing people and giving them permission to unload some of their trauma and then get support and start to heal is coming to fruition. Like I'm, I'm seeing it become more normal.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, if you, I've said this as well, it uh, seemed like a broken record, but uh, if we can pull a silver lining out of any of this mess over the past three years, it is that we have finally recognized the need for self care.
1: Yeah.
0: So that is definitely a good thing. And we need to kind of take that ball and run with it. Because the other thing is, I've noticed, and again, I'm you know it's not like I'm in this massive huge demand as being a speaker on the lecture circuit. You know, it's not like I'm any Tony Robbins or anything. But I have noticed that when I do get booked to speak, the requests for the wellness topics are dwindling a little bit, and they want me to get back to my old my old topics like business of anesthesia and you know those types of things. So I've gotten back to the point where I'm pushing it again. Whereas yeah. the past three years, it was. Oh, you got to come in and do this stuff because I've been doing wellness content on the lecture circuit for at least six or eight years of my thirteen-year speaking career, and before COVID, it was I had to sell it. Nobody was interested in it. Then again, over the past three years, it was like, please come and talk about this. Now it's starting. I'm, I'm afraid it's starting to kind of go back to the way it was, which I'm obviously working against. But um, there's no more important concept. I'm. Yeah. I mean, you and I are definitely on the same page when it comes to changing that culture. I think we have got to pay more attention to to the self-care aspect of this because that to me is the main reason why we're all dropping like flies right now.
1: Yeah, we are healthcare. Like these yeah. people, like you and I are healthcare. The nurses are healthcare, the doctors are healthcare, the dietitians are healthcare, the PTs, the pharmacists. If we don't take care of these human assets, there is not health care.
0: Right. Exactly. And it's going to it's going to come crashing down unless something uh, is done and throwing money at the problem is not the answer.
1: No. And the worst PR uh, campaign for the history of the profession was COVID. I mean, I don't know yeah. a whole lot of young people who are dying to go into a uh, a profession where you could literally die. You know, I mean, exactly. Uh, exactly. It was not good. It's right. it's not good for our future. And so we, we have to kind of reimagine the entire environment of healthcare education
0: so let me let me give you a little scenario we can actually we could we can end with this but um guy you know i i come up to you we've never met i come up to you but i know about what you do and what you've worked on i know i know you're a crna but i also know you do this other stuff on the side i've either heard about you or uh, you know let's say i'm an rn and you know people talk about you at the facility saying hey this guy He's interested in uh, the healer healers thing. He's got this organization. So I seek you out and I come up to you. And I said, you know what? I don't, I, I need some advice. I've I'm an ICU nurse. I, I, I can't stand my job anymore. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm what I guess you would define as being completely burnt out. I don't know what to do because I don't know, you know, I don't know who to talk to. Nobody really cares in my unit. If I call out sick or I seek advice, they're, they're going to label me. How do you address a person that approaches you with that?
1: The first thing I say is um, thank you uh, for talking to me about this. And I'm really proud of you for having the vulnerability to express this because it's, it takes a lot of courage. And um, our jobs are not easy. Our jobs are terrifying and they are heartbreaking. and I've been there. Like, I feel you. And uh, I'm here for you. But it's not just me. There's other people who who have been where you are, too. And there's a place called Heal Our Healers on Facebook. And there's almost 2000 people who that they want to talk to you and they want to support you. And uh, we are a hive heart. You've heard of the hive mind of the Internet or whatever. We're a hive heart. And the more people who are there, the better it works. And by you being there, it's going to work better because you are a compassionate, caring individual, too. And uh, so let's get a cup of coffee and talk about what's going on. And um, I'll talk to you about some potential therapeutic modalities that you might use. Um, I'll find out what you like to do. And we'll find things that are adjacent to that 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 might fit in. And, um, and I'll te- and we'll actually do a couple things. I'll do some breath work with you. Uh, I'll do some meditation with you. Um, I'm happy to, to um, work out with you if you want to go for you know a jog or if you want to do a workout or go mountain biking. But there are lots of things that you can do, even though I know it feels bleak right now, there are lots of things that you can do that will help you heal and will help you feel rested and help you repair and begin to allow you to see, the bright shining intention that you entered this profession with, you know, you wanted to help people. You wanted to touch people. You wanted to heal people. You wanted to make the world a better place. We all did. We all do. We all will, but we have to do some things uh, to keep ourselves operating at our highest capacity and resonating at our highest frequency So that we can love ourselves first and foremost, but then love our our patients. And um, that's what it's all about. It's about love.
0: Well, I tell you, I hope that for those listening, uh, those words resonate. Uh, That's, you know, I couldn't say it better myself. I couldn't address something like that better myself. Uh, I think both of us have been down that road where, um, and definitely our mutual friend, uh, Rigo has, he, he makes a profession daily out of going down that road, uh, to the point of being the one who answers our hotline, the, you know, our national organization hotline. I asked him the same question. How do you, cause I just want to learn from other people that have the same interests that I have. How do you address this? Like, how do you go about doing it? Uh, because there are different ways to do it. Um, and, you know, and then even with uh, like licensed therapist, how do, how do you from your training address this? And, you know, cause there, there are different ways to do it. And I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong way to do it. Um, but I definitely know that it starts from that place of caring and, and letting a person know that they're not alone and yeah. what they're going through is normal Uh, But from there, that's where I start to, you know, try to learn from others. So I appreciate that very much with uh, what you just what you just said.
1: I'm still learning, too. um, But I know that it's about authenticity. It's about vulnerability. And it's just about loving that person in that moment.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. Absolutely. Well, Rodney, this was fantastic. I really do appreciate your time again. uh, And as I do with uh, all of these episodes I allow uh, or give the opportunity to uh, my guest to give a final thought so if you uh, wish to do so uh, please do.
1: Yeah. The biggest thing I want to tell all the listeners anybody who's listening is don't be afraid um to reach out. Don't be afraid to try something new whether it be meditation, whether it be uh getting back into church, whether it be going to um the Buddhist ashram, whether it be um, signing up for a 5K or a marathon, whether it be um, trying your first therapy session, you know, signing up to go see a counselor or using an app like BetterHelp or, or something like that, or Insight Timer to do some guided uh, body check-in and work. Um, booking your appointment with a hypnotherapist, uh, Don't be afraid to try. Don't be don't be afraid to tell other people um, that you're hurting and, and look for modalities that that help you feel better and heal. And you'll know what makes you feel better because you'll you'll know you'll have there'll be moments or sensations where you were with a group of people laughing and you'll be like you know I need to laugh more. So maybe I need to uh, get groups of work get people to work together and we'll go to the comedy club. Or you know, I had a conversation with somebody the other day, and and it just felt really good to kind of talk about what was going on. So maybe I need to, to talk about things a little bit more. And so, unfortunately, nobody's going to come to save you. That's hard, but if you realize that's also freeing, because it it motivates you to be your best caretaker, and ultimately, we are like you can only um, do so much. But if you really dig into um, taking care of you and and you're not ashamed to take care of you, um, then you'll start getting better. And as you get better, things get easier. And as things get easier, you begin to grow. And as you begin to grow, then you begin to move up in, in steps and you begin to elevate yourself personally, financially, spiritually, mentally, physically. And then as you do that, you become this you become this. Resonant individual who is able to uh, apply those same things that you learned, like I did, to other people. So once you climb those stairs that are difficult to climb, and you get to that higher place, you can look down and you can see other people who are having trouble on the stairs, and you can start helping them come up. And that's the best feeling in the whole world. It really is.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it it is. I mean, if if there's you know, you, you go to that cliche, of, if you can just help that one person, but, uh, with what you're doing, you're helping multiples. So, uh, I salute you for your work. Thanks, uh, man. I appreciate it. And, um, any resources you wish me to put in the show notes, I will do so. So for the listeners, definitely go to the show notes, uh, and, uh, we'll put in everything that, uh, Rodney sends me and I'll throw in a few things myself. Uh, and, yes, um, so Rodney, thank you very much. And, and again, for the listeners, uh, Rodney will be speaking again at the next Provider Wellness Symposium. It's looking like it's going to be in Reston, Virginia, the first weekend of November of 2023. So uh, do check that out, uh, providersymposium.com. Uh, he was amazing at the first one and uh, will be amazing at the second one. So uh, you, hopefully uh, you come and check that out as well. Uh, Rodney. I'm
1: to, to speak on uh, compassion fatigue, burnout PTSD, like the vocabulary yeah I think empowering people with the words is really helpful and then the toolbox and empowering them with a bunch of different tools
0: fantastic looking forward to it so Rodney thank you so much really appreciate it I appreciate you man I'm blessed to know you likewise so that'll do it for this episode I hope to see you at the next one this is Matthew Zinder and the Provider Wellness Podcast please stay safe and stay well